excited to be here with you all today. Um, sometimes on Sunday mornings, I have to drive a little bit farther to preach, so it's so fun when I can just come right over here to Sun Prairie. Um, last Sunday, actually, I was thinking about you guys. I was driving past on my way to another church a little, a little farther from here, and I was like, what was I speaking about the last time I was here? Um, and I think this was the Holy Spirit warning me of my day to come because I was reminded how I talked about the importance of like rest and slowing down. And about 20 minutes after that thought, I got a speeding ticket on my way to preach. I was going 35 in a 25. Like, I, I mean, I, it was speeding. I was wrong. Um, but in these small towns, Wisconsin, the city girl was learning. They take that speed real seriously. So I was like, I think the Holy Spirit was prompting me, and I ignored him completely as I drove past Heartland, was reminiscing of things from the past. Um, but I'm excited to be back and no speeding ticket this morning. Um, so we are talking about worship today. Worship. What is worship? Who do we worship? And whenever we get to things like this within the church, Sometimes it can be, we can all be in different spaces. For some of you, maybe you're like, I fully understand why we come, why we gather, why we sing. I understand worship. For others of you, maybe today, you ha still have no idea what you're doing when you come in here and the lights get dim and everybody's standing and everybody's sitting and it just seems a little much still and you're like, what is happening um, well, I grew up in the church, and so I was always familiar with worship, and my mom, she grew up in a Wesleyan church. My dad, um, my last name's Ukrainian, that's Sachek there, so he grew up in a Ukrainian Orthodox church, and so I had some familiarity there, and the Catholic church, and, and you know, different types of worship. So I never really thought much about um, worship, but until a couple years ago, as a pastor, I had this person bring a friend who had never been exposed to Christianity and had never been exposed to any religious type setting before. And this friend comes in and after service, I had noticed like during worship that they had looked really confused. And I, and I knew that they were coming, so I was kind of watching them. And after worship, they came up and they just said, I really don't understand what happened. The people were so rude. They were singing during the concert. They were so loud, you couldn't hear the concert. And she's like, and then that man just talked for so long. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what some people, and maybe you're here today and you still feel like that. Like you're already like, how long is this going to be? But we are going to talk today, what is worship? And the reality is that we are all worshiping something today. Some of us, we come in here with the intention to worship God, but whether it's intentionally or not intentionally, every single day beyond Sundays, we are all worshiping something or someone. We don't get to choose if we are going to worship, but we get to choose who we are going to worship. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this idea that we were created to worship. So now what we get to do is we get to choose who we will worship. Now, I loved, um, as I was preparing for this yesterday, I love the YouVersion Bible app and the daily little devos that come up. And actually, another pastor yesterday, it was on worship yesterday morning. And I'm not sure if you can go back or not, but the verse of the day was Psalms 59:16, And I thought it was so just confirming of what God wanted to share with us today. So I'm going to read it. It says, but I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. And that's Psalms 59:16. 
Now, talks about that David wrote this during the time of war, but before he went out to fight, he stopped to worship. Now, I've always read these stories in the Old Testament of people worshiping in these moments that really just don't make sense to me. And I've always wondered, how do I become like that? Like when I'm about to face an incredible battle that I don't know if I'm going to win, the first thing I'm going to do is stop and worship. I also think of Moses when he spends his whole life trying to help the Egyptian or the Israelites get free from the Egyptians and to enter into the promised land. And then when he is given the option to enter into the promised land and, and God says, my angels will go with you, but my presence will not. And in this story of Moses saying in Exodus, he's saying that I'm going to stay right here because your presence is what I want. And I think about that, and I think about Job, who also we read in the book of Job of how he lost everything, and he continued to worship God. And we see stories about this Old Testament to new, and I have to wonder, how? Why? And I wonder, could it be? Because they knew Jesus, they knew God in a type of way that they thought that he was worth it, that his presence was worth everything else. So they chose to worship so we're going to talk about who or, or what is worth your worship today. And we're going to talk about it through this lens of saying, if you get nothing else from this today, that worship starts with upward adoration. It leads to then inward transformation. And as a result, we see outward multiplication. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time in Mark chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or, or whatever, we're going to have you open that up for just a minute here. And I'm going to read out of Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 11. It says this in verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made up of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done this beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, that what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And it was at this time then that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, and he was handed over to the guards after this to be crucified. And we know the story. He died and was raised back to life. So this is all happening right before that. But would you just take a moment and would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today, God, for your word that is alive, that is active, that even all these years later still has the power to speak to us. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus, that we can look at his life and we can learn what it looks like to honor you and to serve you and, and to be your child. We thank you for the sacrifice and that he left with us his Holy Spirit so that we can experience your presence today. And so, God, I just ask that, that as we take a look at this text, that you would continue, as we prayed earlier, to open our eyes to see you, that your Holy Spirit would meet us in such a powerful, personal way today and that we would leave here closer to you and looking a little bit more like you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. 
So what do we see here is that this woman, this story, she starts, there has to be some idea in her head of this upward adoration. You see that she adored Jesus in, in the type of way that she chose to come to enter this room and to worship him, to pour out what she had, to pour out that oil, to break that jar and pour it out on Jesus. You see, when we talk about worship, yes, it is song and it's coming together to sing. But the reason that we do that is we are reminding ourselves who Jesus is. We're responding to who he is. We're celebrating that. And through that upward adoration, we experience his presence in a deeper way. But it's almost like we're training ourselves when we're in these settings and we're singing. Because I look at this moment where she was able at that time, it could have been a dangerous situation to interrupt people like that as a woman, to, to enter into this room as a woman and to break this jar and to pour it out at his feet. That was a bold act for her. Yet she did that. Why? Because she chose that Jesus was worth it. And there's a few things that I'm going to break down that I think she shows us right here is that the first thing is that worship is practical, that you have to do it. When we talk about worship, we're, and especially when we're singing songs, we're, we're recalling who God is, we're remembering who he is, we're responding to who he is, but we have to do it. Like, we have to say it, we have to sing it, we have to live it out. When we talk about even our giving, like, part of tithing and why we always say it's a part of our worship is because money sometimes can be the center of our lives. And so we're continuing to show God, you are the center of my life. You are the one I want to honor before anything else. And so we are training ourselves even in that to surrender more and more to Jesus. But she's showing how practical it is. There must have been some intention that she brought this jar into this place and broke it and poured it out. The next thing that we see here is that that worship she's showing us that it's prophetic. Now, sometimes this word prophetic can be a little scary, right? But it's more than just like telling the future. But she is giving us a glimpse through this act, and she doesn't even know it, of what is to come. You see, oil is so important in the Bible. Oil is mentioned over 200 times throughout scripture. And, and the thing about oil is in order to make it, you have to crush it, you have to press it in order for the oil to come out. And I want you to think, what else do we see in scripture that was crushed, that was pressed? It's Jesus, his body. Now, oil, what are some common things that we use it for? We use it for binding flavors together when we're cooking. In the Old Testament, they would use it as medicine. They would use oil as medicine to heal and anointing the animals for sacrifice, for worship. They would use oil to pour it out. They would use oil to light lamps. Now, this act of anointing Jesus, in just a glimpse of it, you see this woman, she was being obedient to give what she had in worship to Jesus and choosing that he was worth it. He was worth the humiliation. He was worth what other people were going to think. And she chose to pour it out. But what she didn't realize is that worship was a prophetic act, that she was giving us a glimpse of Jesus whose body was going to be crushed and pressed and broken, whose blood was going to be poured out to pay the price for our sins, to heal, to save. That oil that lights things up, that Jesus too was going to be the light of the world. You see, we might not realize in a moment that when we're singing songs and when we're living our life in a way of worship, 
that we are not only remembering and responding to what was, but we are prophetically proclaiming and stepping into what is to come. And the next thing that we see from this is that worship, it always leads to deeper presence with God. So again, the first thing we see is it starts with this upward glance of fixing our eyes on Jesus, on God, on his throne, his glory. And when we do that, it refocuses us. One of, one of the best things that has helped me with my relationship with Jesus is continuing to remember that we illuminate what we fixate on. That the thing that you fixate on is going to slowly become the biggest thing in your life if that's what you're giving your attention to. Now, I love in Proverbs where it says, trust in the Lord with all your hearts, lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, sometimes we, we come to these verses and we're saying, well, how do I trust God, right? How do I go in the direction that he wants me to? Do you notice that word acknowledge? As we acknowledge him, he will make our path straight. He will tell us where to go. He will guide us. Worship is all about adoring the Father, fixating on him. And you see this woman do this when it says that while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon, she came with her alabaster jar made of pure nard. She broke her jar, poured perfume on his head. The people around were telling her it was a waste, but she did it anyways. It's almost as if Jesus was the only one in the room that mattered to her. It's almost as if Jesus was all she could see in that moment. And as she fixated on him, the voices, the harsh words began to, to vanish. And she continued to be bold in that way. So I'm going to take a minute here and I want to talk about transformation, formation, and the importance of us being intentional about what we fixate on and what we behold because I don't know if you realize this or not, but we are all in the process of being formed. In the same way that we were created to worship, we were created in the image of God. But because of the world that we live in, every single day, the things we listen to, the things we watch, the people around us, the people we see, they are forming us into the image of someone or something. So we get to choose then who we want to be formed into and how we go about doing that. So I'm going to be the first to tell you in the same way I said I'm not techie. Yeah, I can't figure out how to turn on a microphone. Um, I've never been one to say, like, I'm cool, I'm hip, I'm with it, with the kids, or anything like that, because I'm just not. I'm not. Sometimes, you know, I get asked to, like, do all these youth events, and I've actually never been a youth pastor, which is, like, pretty rare as, like, a pastor that you were never a youth pastor. Um, but I've never done it, and so I do all these youth events, and I'm going to speak at a youth camp this week, and it's always funny. I always tell them, I was like, just so you know, like, I'm not cool. I'm not funny, and I don't know what's in trend right now. And even the fact that I say, like, in trend. Um, but I was just with my family, right? And so I have my parents, and we're talking about social media. We're talking about things happening in the world. And, and I have one brother that, like, his social media preference is TikTok. I have another that it is Twitter. And then my parents are talking about Facebook, and I'm all about the gram. And, you know, we're talking about social media and algorithms and just stuff like that. And what we were all talking about is we all were complaining about our algorithms. We're all complaining about what we see on our feeds. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but what you see when you open up Facebook or Twitter or your preferred social media app, that algorithm, the thing that they're feeding you, is based off of what you're looking at. 
It's based off of that thing that you liked. It's based off of that image that you looked at for just a little bit too long. So maybe you weren't even into that pair of shoes, but you were looking at them because they were so ugly. And now it's that's the style of shoes that you're seeing all over your feed, right? But there's two types of people in this world. Those who let the algorithms form them and those who form their algorithms. Now let me talk to you about a pretty embarrassing story in my life where I decided that I was going to be into TikTok a few years ago. I thought, yeah, I can do this. Like, I'm gonna be a TikToker. And I thought it was gonna be so funny because I saw some, and please forgive me, like, know my heart in this. If you if you are a TikTok Christian influencer, like, I am for you, I support you. But I was seeing some pretty cheesy Christian TikTok videos. And I was like, this is gonna be so funny if I make fun of them on TikTok. So I uploaded my first video, and it's this super cheesy, like, Christian TikTok. And I thought it was hilarious. I might have got like 500 views or something like that. Didn't go viral. Um, but after this, my entire feed was like cheesy, like really cheesy Christian TikTok. That's all I could see for days. And I was talking about this with my brother, and he's like, well, you got to change it. And my brother, he's the type of person where he literally will go in and he's like, I'm interested in this. And he will intentionally go and search and like all of these things until his algorithm looks the way that he wants it. And it got me thinking about that. And how many of us do we just sit back and we just take what comes in and we watch it and we're like, well, this is all I see. This is it, right? And we're not realizing that we can change it if we are intentional about what we look at, what we click on, what we like, what we support, that we can change what comes into us. We can change the algorithm. Now hear me with this. We fixate, what we fixate on forms us. We see it with our social medias. It's the same with our lives. And we slowly, without realizing, are becoming what we behold. You might have thought those shoes were ugly the first time they came on your feed. But without realizing, six months later, you might be wanting to purchase them because that's what you see. And it's starting to form what you like. And it's starting to form the decisions that you're going to make. What we fixate on forms us. What we place at the center of our lives, what we behold is who we are becoming. You see, this woman, she was created worthy. She was created powerful. And in a room where other people might have looked and said, this is not the time or the place for you to come with your worship. There was something about her fixating on Jesus that this boldness comes over her to pour it out anyways. And to say, this is who I was created to be. I was created to worship. So when I see my Jesus sitting in this room, you better believe I'm not missing this moment. I am going to worship do we live in that type of way where we are intentional about what is forming us? Or do we live in that type of way where we are fixating on Jesus and becoming like him because he's who we behold? The next thing that we see as a result of this is this outward multiplication. It says the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. It says that she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
I love this so much because not only is Jesus once again affirming and he's shutting everything else down. He's affirming who she is. He's affirming what she did. And he's again prophetically telling us what is to come, right? He's, he's telling us like this is why she did it. And, and that's just how sweet Jesus is is sometimes we step into these moments where we can't see the outcome and all we know to do is obey and we can come trembling and fear, wondering how it's going to happen and Jesus just silences the voices and he's like, look at me, fixate on me, behold me, who I am and what I have to say about you and let that be enough. Jesus was proclaiming to her, that even more how important this act of honor and worship was. When everybody else is saying that it was wasted, he's saying nothing is wasted. And it might not have made sense in that moment. And, and for you, even sometimes when you walk in these spaces on a Sunday or when you wake up on your Monday, it might not always make sense based on what you're feeling to worship. But can I tell you, if we want to, to someday get to heaven and our reunion with Jesus be like a reunion with a best friend, we're going to want to get to know him on this side of eternity. We're going to want to spend time in his presence. Man, I keep thinking about that choir in heaven. I'm like, I want to practice my harmonies to be right front and center when we are singing and worshiping for all of eternity. And, and, and we see this when we come in here that we get the beauty of doing it together that we get the beauty of, of maybe you are not feeling like responding to who God is and celebrating him in the moment, but you get to hear the voices of those around you singing and worshiping, and, and you get to be reminded through that of who God is and what he's done and what he is still going to do. Worship is always worth it, but we can't wait to be till, until we understand to be obedient in worship. You see, sometimes we want to have that perfect feeling to respond to God. But more times than not, it's going to take faith. I don't know that David was fully confident every time he went to battle of what was going to come, but he chose to worship. I don't know if this woman knew how the people were going to respond, but she chose to worship. Another story that stands out to me when we talk about this is Paul and Silas when they were in prison in Acts chapter 16. And we see that this story of they are in prison, they're chained, and they begin to praise, and they begin to worship in a way where there was a literal earthquake. And it says that then in, in Acts chapter 16 that this jailer who was there to keep them in prison, who was going to kill them, instead brought them over for a meal in his house. And he says he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe God, and he and his whole household we're saved. Like when we're talking about how our worship, when we worship God in such a way that there's going to be this outward multiplication, you see this right here in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and with Silas. You see, they were worshiping in a time that didn't make sense. And when they worshiped and when they were adoring the name of the Lord our God, something began to shift and change in the atmosphere. So much so that the jailer who was against them all of a sudden is going, who are you worshiping? I want to know him. Can I tell you that every day our lives should look like that? Not just here on Sundays when we're singing, but on your Mondays, on your Tuesdays, and every day in between. 
there should be this way that we love each other, that we serve each other, that we honor one another in a type of way where others are looking and saying, why are they doing that? And who are they doing that for? Because if he's really worth what they're doing, I want to know him too. And what they teach us here is that worship is so, so powerful. We see this all throughout the Old Testament where they, before battle, would send the worshipers first. They would send the worshipers first because they got it. They understood that we want to adore God before anything else. But the next thing that we see here that's so special about when we worship is that worship is a cross-cultural experience. Now, I, I want you to think about it this way. For, for Mary, she's coming in, and she's coming into this space full of, full of men where at that time that might have been a little different and, and not really accepted, and she's crossing that cultural barrier, and she's choosing to worship. And, and, and you see this moment with Paul and Silas where there, there's this kind of like social economical divide of religious divide of this jailers there, um, but they're breaking this barrier, and now they're worshiping together, and he's giving his life to Jesus. You see, every single Sunday when we gather, we get to know, gather knowing that there are hundreds, thousands, millions of people all over the world that maybe not at the same time of this day, but they too are lifting high the name of Jesus and singing and worshiping. And we get to share in that experience. And even that is prophetic too of what heaven is going to be like someday. That we can come and you might not have anything else in common with the person sitting next to you. You might not look like them. You might not work the same type of job. You might not live in the same part of town. But when you worship, there's this unity. There's this binding together that happens where we can unite over worshiping Jesus. And as we do that, it is going to multiply. And our worship should lead others to Christ. It should be something that's contagious with how we worship. But worship always starts with upward adoration. It always starts with positioning our lives and our hearts to lift high the name of Jesus and to put him first. And it's through that. It's not the reason we do it, but, but through that, that we get to experience his presence in such a deep, personal way that there's this inward transformation that takes place. Man, I think about that moment with the woman and Jesus when, when she's coming in and, and she's pouring out that oil. I think of how intimate that moment must have been. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get kind of annoyed when people have these like inside jokes. And it's usually I'm just annoyed because I'm on the outside of the inside. And, and I think of that where Jesus was pulling her to the inside where he's saying, no, 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 no. This is for me and you. You fixate on me and I got you. You don't have to worry about what they say. I got you. He had this intimate moment with her and so worship, a simple definition of it is ascribing worth to something or someone. In the Bible, we see it through song. We see it through our, our giving. We see it through our life. We see it through sacrifice. There's so many different ways that we can ascribe worth to Jesus. But we first have to decide, is he worth that worship? Man, and, and as, I, as I stand here and I share this with you today, and even as we sing songs of worship, and my spirit is reminding, and my flesh is reminded this morning that, that he's the one that put breath in our lungs, 
that he's the one that gave us life. And I can't help then but to position my heart and my life in a space of surrender and saying, well, if you're the God that created the universe, I might not understand what's happening in this moment, but I'm going to surrender and I'm going to worship. And so we have to decide today, is the one who spoke the world into motion, is he worthy of our worship? Is the one who overcame the battle that you're facing before you even knew that you were going to fight it today, is he worthy of your worship? Is the one who gave his one and only son to die and be raised back to life so that you could experience life eternal and life to the full, is, is he worthy of your worship? To the one who left you his Holy Spirit so that you can now feel his presence and be with him and experience his greatness at all moments of every day. Is he worthy of your worship today? Because he is mighty, he is strong, he is kind. And, and we see that, that Moses, when he was given the option to, to have all the, the, the promised land flowing with milk and honey, he said, God, your presence is what I want. He thought it was worth it. When David probably had the military power to go and to fight the battle on his own, he waited and he said, nope, God, your presence, I'm going to adore you because giving you my all first, it is worth it. Job, when he had nothing left and he could have been angry and I would have been angry. Yes, he took time to mourn and he took time to lament. But even in that, he thought it was still worth it to worship. Paul and Silas thought so. This woman with the jar thought so. And I have to believe that they knew the power of worship, that they had experienced the presence of God in the type of way that they truly knew that this was all that they wanted. Someone in my life who was extremely influential in, in worship um, was not the worship leader growing up at my church. And, and even I led worship for years before I, I was a pastor and ever preached a sermon. It wasn't anybody I've led worship with or seen or, or heard or anything like that. But it was this man named Tom from the church that I grew up in. Now, when I was 16, I went on a missions trip with him. And that trip was um, honestly a really hard week for me. But the one thing that stood out and still years later stands out to me is I witnessed this man every single morning before the sun would rise, get up, take time, and worship Jesus. One morning I caught him as I'm trying to get up and get pictures of the sunrise, and I see him off on a rock just belting out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And, and I was like a little embarrassed for him because I'm like, people can hear you. But he didn't care. He's like, I don't care. Like I'm waking up and I'm going to worship. Now, what was profound about this is I saw it up close and personal when I was with him for that week serving. But this was who he was on Sundays as well, is he was the one sometimes at the wrong times of the sermon, you would hear him louder than the preacher, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Like he wanted to praise Jesus all the time. But what was even more special is that as I got older, I watched the generosity of the way that he worshiped God with every part of who he was. He was the first one. There was a time where my family was, was in need in high school, and, and we had been praying for a miracle, and he was also praying. We didn't tell anybody, and he shows up with a check at my family's door. And, and that showed me that obviously he's worshiping and spending time with Jesus enough to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit and be obedient. 
when I became a missionary and I moved here to Madison, the first time that I said I need people to join my team and give financially to what we're doing, he was the first one to write a check. And this past year, Tom passed away and he went to be with Jesus. And I haven't seen him in person in years, but I remember when I saw that and all I could think of, he is finally up close and personal worshiping Jesus. But I look at his life and I'm like, he was ready to be up close and personal because he practiced worshiping Jesus every single day of his life. But what was even more significant is the reason that he did that was because he could tell you how many days he had been worshiping Jesus because that was the same amount of days that he had been sober. You see, when he decided to give his life to Jesus, he at the time was struggling with addiction, but the addiction he knew was not going to disappear without the power of God. And so he chose to radically recenter his life around worshiping Jesus and starting his mornings at like 4 a.m., some ungodly hour, to wake up his choice to worship Jesus. He found other men in the church that different days of the week would come and meet him to hold him accountable to waking up and worshiping Jesus. Through his life, I got to witness the power of worship beyond a Sunday experience. That these moments when we're singing these songs, it's a part of that formation process. It's a part of us saying, Jesus, we are choosing that you are worth our worship. And so we're going to come and we're going to continue to form ourselves in your likeness to remind ourselves of who you are so that we too can become like you and be a light to this world. My friend Tom knew that it was worth it to worship Jesus, to give him every part of who he was. And it all started with his worship. But when it comes to worship, where do we start today? I love that in Mark 14, the line where it says, she did what she could. She did what she could. As we close today, I wanna talk about how when it comes to worship, Yes, we are adoring the Father. And through that, we get to experience the power of, of, of his Holy Spirit as he comes and transforms us and forms us into his likeness. And, and through that, that there begins to be this outward multiplication that we start all of a sudden seeing these things happen that we couldn't do on our own. But all of that is going to start today with our surrender. Now, as I was praying even this morning, I, I felt that there's probably three groups of people here today that I just felt like the Lord was highlighting and I wanna share with you. And, and that for some of you, you could be here today and, and, and you're hearing this story and you're worried that what you have isn't enough. That your worship, that the way that you live your life, that it isn't enough. But what I feel like Jesus wants to say to you in that moment is that nothing is wasted. In the same way he looked that woman in the eye and he told her, don't listen to what anybody else is, has to say. Just give me what you have. He wants to say that to you. Just surrender it to Jesus. Next is that there's some of us today that maybe we're beholding things that are taking our eyes off of Jesus. Maybe you find yourself in a place today where you're like, I don't know how I got here, but I don't like who I'm becoming. I feel like Jesus wants to say to you today, you can choose to change those algorithms. 
You can choose to start intentionally feeding yourself and, and worshiping and reminding yourself of who God is. Let that change you from the inside out. I just spent some time this weekend with my, my niece who's about five months old now. And she's at the point where we're trying to like test all her abilities. She's the first grandchild, so we're a little much for her. And she's holding one thing in her hand, and my mom's a teacher and, you know, works with kids, and she's like, okay, we're going to see, is she smart enough to let go of one thing so she can grab the other? And she did it, and there's like eight of us all like, yeah, she did it! And I'm just looking at the trauma in her face, too. I was like, oh, gosh, Lord, heal her from this trauma of all of us being in her face. But, but, but what you think about, right, is, is we get that concept of if your hands are full of one thing, you don't have room for another. So some of you today, you are beholding other things and you come here and you're like, okay, I'm worshiping, but God, I'm not feeling your transformation presence in my life. God, I'm not leaving here changed. And can I ask, are there other things that you're holding, that you're beholding, that you're fixating on, that you need to let go of so that all you have eyes for is Jesus. All you can hold in your hands is Jesus. Finally, that there might be some of us here today that we're worried that if we do fixate on Jesus, that if we do give what we have, that he won't want it. You see, I look at even the people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples were around, and they were the ones that were criticizing her. And maybe you've been here today and you're like, I, I'm newer to this. Or, or maybe you're not and, and you have some hurt and you have some pain and, and you're in this space of saying, Jesus, you know me. Are you sure you want me to come and to worship you? And in the same way that Jesus looked at that woman and he welcomed her, I believe that Jesus wants you to know today that he welcomes you and he welcomes your worship. No matter your past, no matter your background, no matter what pain or hurt that you came in feeling that it might not be what he wants, he wants it because what he is after is you. What he is after is your surrender, your worship. You were created in the image of God. And he wants you to remember that today. When I get to the end of my life, all I can think is that may it be said that I gave my all, that I broke those jars, that I poured it out, that I surrendered everything because Jesus was worth it. But sometimes to live in that type of way, we have to continue to spend time in the presence of Jesus to remind ourselves who he is and that he's worth it. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with us today. And the team's going to come and close in this song. And I want to do two things. First, I'm going to give you some really quick, just practical things of saying, um, if you're in a place and, and you're saying, yes, I want Jesus, I want to be someone that knows how to worship Jesus and be his presence, can I suggest um, creating rhythms in your life beyond Sundays where you're worshiping? And, and not just singing songs, although that's part of it, um, but times where maybe you're honoring Jesus by forgiving people or by not having the final say in an argument or buying someone's meal. All of those things are worship to Jesus. But to be intentional, create space beyond Sundays to be in worship. And then when you're here and you're surrounded by all this family and all these believers, don't miss a moment to give Jesus your all. Don't miss it. 
So we're going to spend time worshiping and, and just in the presence of God because I truly believe that as we start to adore him, that we will receive that transformation and that we can truly leave here changed. But it's going to start with your surrender. It's going to start by you saying, are you willing to give what you have? So I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you created us in your image to be people that worship you. And we thank you, God, that, that even though we're in a space where maybe for some of us, we still are learning what it looks like to worship, that you're ready to receive us. So God, I pray right now for anybody here today that maybe is in a place of feeling like, I, I don't know even where to start. Would you begin to maybe even just highlight in our hearts, Holy Spirit, name the things in our lives that we are beholding, that we need to let go of so we can behold you instead. And I want to invite you, church, to just even listen. And maybe as I was speaking, if there's things that you're beholding, that you're fixating on, that you realize are starting to form you, would you just begin to name that? And would you begin to just surrender that? If you're here today and, and you're in a place where you are wondering, is Jesus going to accept what I have? Is, am I worthy of worshiping him? Man, I just want you to take a moment and receive the word from the Lord that you are created worthy in his image, that because of his son, Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for your sins, that that blood was poured out and covered all things so that you can be worthy. You are worthy of worshiping him. And so what he wants from you today is your surrender. And so God, would you help us in these next few moments to bring what we have even if we feel like it's not enough, even if we feel shame, if we feel insecure, would you help us to position our lives and our hearts in these moments to fixate on you, your worthiness, your holiness, and to surrender everything else. We ask this in your name. Amen.